Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another great episode of Ask the Expert. Today, we are here with Dr. Jeffrey Cohen, who is a clinical psychologist at Columbia University. Have you ever had something in your life that you felt like was out of your control and you needed to figure out how to cope with it? Well, Dr. Cohen is here and he's going to show us some exercises, which you can all try at home. You may have seen his research in the New York Times, NBC, Vice. He has been interviewed countless times on mental health. He has been known as the go-to expert on therapies which balance change with acceptance. He's going to explain to us what those theories are and how they help you problem solve when you work through your own issues. He certainly got me to open up on this episode and had me do some exercises which have been a total game changer. You're going to hear answers to the questions he most frequently gets from his patients on navigating life challenges, and I can almost guarantee you're going to walk away with some nuggets that you can hold on to. Dr. Cohen, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Marjorie. That was a very, very kind introduction. I I don't even know if I can quite live up to it, but I'll try my best. So let's just dive in. We all have run into difficult times. And through your research, you've really become an expert on changes and how, how, how to effectively cope. I know that there are some areas that have been proven more than others. Can you kind of share with us, like, what are some of these, some of these different ways that people could cope through difficult times in their life? Yeah, let's talk about ways to cope. And, um, And to your point, that's right. Everybody has stress. We do just find that sometimes people who occupy a marginalized identity, a sexual or gender minority, or also a person of color, or for instance, someone who is both a person of color and also a sexual gender minority has additional stress that um, other folks don't have. Now, that being said, um, all of these uh, strategies that we're about to to talk about can be applicable to, to everyone. So yeah, what are I think the question is sort of like what are some ways to cope? And uh, well, you know, there's a psychologist I really admire, and her name is Dr. Marsha Linehan, and she says that although there are an infinite number of problems in life, if we sort of sit back and think about it, there are not an infinite number of solutions. In fact, if you really think about it, we could make an argument that there's three main ways to cope with any problem. And maybe I could even take you through an example. Let's say the problem of the pandemic. How does that sound? Oh, I would love it. Okay, so here we are in the midst of a pandemic. And now the first way to solve a problem is for, is well, problem solving. I love problem solving. If we can solve a problem, I am all for it. The thing is with the pandemic, it doesn't appear to be easily or quickly solved, or at least I myself personally am not in that position to be able to solve it. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be your best friend if you could solve it. Yeah, we could. Yeah, if we could snap our fingers, I bet you and I would have snapped our fingers and we would have solved this a long time ago. Actually, everyone in the world, that'd be one thing we would really all agree on. (laughs) Absolutely. So that's problem solving. Now, sometimes you can't solve a problem to to the point of our conversation just here. The next way is to change um, how you're feeling. And now sometimes this can work. For instance, I think at the start of the pandemic, many of the folks I was talking to in the therapy room we're sort of shifting their thoughts to those of gratitude, to be able to spend more time at home, uh, maybe with loved ones or more time with family. I don't know if that's something you've noticed uh, and people you speak with. Absolutely. Now, it's tricky because the thing is toxic positivity, which is where people try to turn all thoughts into positive ones, is actually not helpful and can make things worse. 
because it can be really invalidating. And then we start to deny the reality that things are really, really hard right now, especially as what I think at first I thought was a temporary crisis link, uh, continues to stretch on into the foreseeable future and really becomes our new reality. So that brings me to the third way to cope, which actually many of the people I see uh, in the therapy room are telling me is the most helpful way to cope right now. And that um, is acceptance. And so we can certainly talk more about what is acceptance um, and what is change. And if I was going to boil it down even further, I would say there's two ways to cope. There's the acceptance-based ways, which can include mindfulness and just seeing reality as it is. And then there's the change-based ways, which include changing how we feel and um, problem solving. And before we dive into that deeper, maybe I'll just note that this way of thinking is part of a dialectical worldview. And what is a dialectic? It just means that every thesis has an antithesis and they can come together in synthesis. And so the primary way of looking through this dialectical lens is to balance acceptance with change. And so what that could look like for me, for us personally, is to note that we're all doing the best we can and we can do better. Now, why is that? If we only focus on doing better, we can start to feel really bad about ourselves. And paradoxically, that might make a harder for us to get stuff done. If we only focus on accepting ourselves, that can feel great in the short term, but we kind of never get to the life we want to be living. So I really find that it's all about acceptance and change. Wow, that is so fascinating. I mean, just even listening to you talk about toxic positivity and the way you put that, you frame that, it's so accurate, right? I mean, I also, I hear people saying this all the time is, They'll talk about themselves and how they're struggling, but then they'll immediately say, but I don't have it as bad as, you know, others, which I think negates your feelings of having a hard time because now you're feeling guilty that you're, you're struggling. And so I, I really appreciate that that's not always the answer. Um, and I like the idea of thinking about acceptance and change. So what, what tips can you, can you kind of drill down a little bit more? I mean, I feel like now I'm a, now I'm a captive audience and I'm really wanting to understand more about what, what, what synthesizes that together. Yeah. Well, let's actually just take the example that, that you gave, right? So we might be thinking, well, I have a lot, I have it better than a lot of people and that uh, provides space for gratitude, right? And that can be helpful. But then along with that, there can be sort of a self a self judgment, like, oh, I shouldn't complain, right? And so mm -hmm. um, one of our acceptance-based techniques is actually called mindfulness. And with mindfulness, we just start to notice reality as it is and to describe it in a non-judgmental way. Because when we're judging, whether it's ourselves or other people, that can actually make us feel worse. It can kind of bring up guilt when sometimes guilt doesn't quite fit. So uh, I guess we could either start off with acceptance-based ways to cope or change-based ways, which, where should we start? Let's start with change first. Okay, so um, can I tell you about my favorite change-based skill? Yes, please. Okay, so it's called opposite action. Now you might be wondering what in the world is opposite action, and I'm gonna tell you, but before I do, I have to tell you a few things about emotions first. Is that okay? Absolutely. Okay, so we have emotions for a reason. In fact, research reveals there's three main reasons why we have uh, emotions from an evolutionary perspective. Uh, they communicate to ourselves, to other people, and they organize action. 
So what I'm really trying to say here is that every emotion drives an action. So before we can get into changing anything, we need to understand which emotions drive which actions. So I'm going to put you on the spot, Marjorie, and you can decline and turn it back at me. But <laughs> let's say you're feeling fear. Let's say, you know, you walk out after our interview, you walk out. I don't know. You have an errand to run somewhere. You get out of your car. Oh, my goodness. There's a bus coming towards you. You are feeling fear. What are you going to do? Uh, jump out of the way. Yeah, exactly. So fear is going to keep you safe. It's doing its job. Fear functions to avoid when there's a threat to our life, our health, our well-being, if there's a bus coming towards you. So now that's fear. Now, um, what about sadness? Um, I think there's been a lot of sadness in the world right now. There's been a lot of loss. When people are feeling really sad, I think often they just want to sort of stay home, stay under the covers, stay in bed. Um, in some faith traditions, uh, you know, when someone dies, the family stays at home for many, uh, for several days uh, to sort of sit. And this helps us sort of repair and think about building a new life in the context of loss. So sadness motivates us to isolate or to isolate with loved ones, to take some time off to repair. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So we talked about fear. We talked about sadness. I'm going to tell you about anger. Anger mobilizes us, right? It gets us going. Have you ever noticed that if you're angry about something, you're like... For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it could just be something like, um, you know, we're overcharged at a restaurant or we order delivery and the food we order doesn't arrive. And just that sense of anger motivates us uh, to ask for a correction. Now, I use anger broadly because it's the core emotion, but certainly it could be frustration, irritation, and certainly anger also mobilizes um, us for action in a broader sense. So I think many civil rights uh, initiatives and advocacy come about from a sense of deep-seated anger with injustice in the world, and anger helps us, uh, the anger mobilizes us to fight that injustice and advocate for change, which I th think we're seeing a lot now um, in our world. So yeah. just to recap, the three emotions we covered were, I guess, fear and the action that goes with it is avoid. We covered sadness and the action that goes with it is... Uh, Isolate. Uh, yes, you got it. And so anger and the action that goes with it, attack, although I don't love that word with advocacy, but it basically lets us, it helps us say, hey, there's something wrong here. Okay. So what about when the emotion is too intense, you want to change it? So you're just someone who's depressed has just been in bed for like weeks right? It's not really effective anymore. Or what about when people are feeling really scared and anxious and there is no threat to your life? So what if, you know, you're not feeling fear because there's a bus coming towards you, but you're feeling fear at, when you're sitting at home and you're worrying, what if one day I get hit by a bus or I get in a car accident? And so you're even afraid to get into your car because you're so worried about this accident. And now that's really limiting your life, right? Because you're kind of now afraid to like maybe leave your home. I'm really extending it here, but that actually does happen with fear. So the point here is you have to do opposite to what the emotion would have you do to change the emotion. So Ooh, my, yeah. this is interesting. <laughs> my very favorite um, way to change an emotion is through this skill called opposite action. And you're just acting opposite to the emotion. So fear. I remember a teen that I worked with who was really afraid of dogs. 
Now, this fear was understandable because he was bit uh, by a dog when he was a little kid, but it was really interfering um, in his life in the sense that he wouldn't go to any friend, and this was before the pandemic, but he wouldn't go to any friend's houses who had dogs. And so he was really avoiding so much and it was really interfering in terms of his ability to have healthy peer relationships, which are so important for, for all of us and especially for teens during those years. So what we actually had to do was instead of him avoiding dogs, he had to do the opposite. And so what do you think the opposite of avoiding dogs it was? Surround yourself with a whole bunch of dogs. You got it. So <laughs> this is also called exposure therapy. We had to surround him with a whole bunch of dogs. It was one of the most fun uh, clients I ever had the pleasure of working with. And uh, some of uh, my grad students were able to bring their dogs into the therapy room. And so we sort of started with small dogs and worked our way up to bigger dogs. And that really changed how he thought because his brain took in new information that dogs are not actually dangerous. Yes, he was bit and we can validate that. That was a one-off though, um, in the sense that most dogs especially dogs that, you know, he's encountering in a, in a, in a family home are not going to bite him. And so that really helped him uh, be able to approach and stop avoiding uh, dogs. That is super interesting. So now I'm curious about how you would use opposite action for something perhaps like sadness where it's harder to put yourself on the opposite of it. It's really, really hard. Yes. Because like, Opposite action for sadness and is hard because sadness just kind of makes you want to go under the covers. You don't want to do anything. And so you actually have to do the opposite. You have to get active. So Marjorie, the next time that you're feeling sad and you don't want to feel sad, sometimes people want to feel sad and that's okay. This is just for changing the emotions you want to change, not the emotions other people want you to change. But you're feeling sad. You don't want to feel sad. You get up. Maybe you go outside, maybe you go for a run, maybe you go for a hike. Basically, you get active. We also call that behavioral activation, which is one of the most well-researched treatments for, well, depression and sadness. So rather than isolating and staying at home, you got to get out and do something. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about acceptance now. Yeah, let's start with mindfulness. So Marjorie, imagine um, that you have to cross a room full of furniture and the lights are off. What is going to happen to you if you need to cross a room full of furniture and the lights are off? I'm most likely going to trip, fall on my face, definitely get a black eye, maybe a broken arm, and I might have a concussion Yeah, because I'm already clumsy. <laughs> and that's not it for you. We don't want all those, any of those things for you. So mindfulness is a little bit like turning the lights on. And you're going to see all the furniture that's there. With mindfulness, we're turning the lights on inside of us. We're noticing our thoughts and our feelings. And outside of us, you're seeing what's there. Now, you might not like the furniture, okay? This might, you might actually think, eek, is that the furniture that's there? Is that the thought in my mind? However, you're going to be much more effective at getting from one side of the room to the other. So mindfulness can also include setting aside a period of time to do nothing but meditate, but it can also include paying attention to something we're already doing, just like the conversation we're having. Um, I think we're both sort of paying attention, we both are paying attention to each other. And so we're really being present to that moment versus to be unmindful is a little bit like, are you ever in a conversation or in a call and you have like no idea what was just said, or you feel like the other person wasn't listening at all? Yeah, is being mindful the same as being present? That's actually what I love about mindfulness, to realize that all that exists is, one, is this one moment is to be present to life as it's actually happening. So that's a, that's a practice, it sounds like, that, that I could work on, that people could work on. And when we do, are we more accepting? 
Absolutely. Mindfulness really just includes either focusing the mind. So you want to pay attention to something particular. Maybe you're driving and you're just going to focus the mind on the air coming through the vents. Of course, you need to still focus on the road or it can include opening the mind to notice what's there. What are the thoughts or opening yourself up to what are the feelings in the body? I just want to alert you to one common pitfall I account or common uh, misstep that co that comes to me that people come to me uh, that comes up in the therapy room. Sometimes people think mindfulness is about suppressing or clearing all thoughts, and if they couldn't clear all their thoughts, they think, "Oh my God, this didn't work." And so I just want to really highlight it's not about clearing thoughts. And if you're game, I want to do a real quick exercise with you. Are you up for it? Absolutely. Thank you for your willingness. And willingness is also part of mindfulness and acceptance, which is just being willing to throw yourself into the moment. So I appreciate that. Okay, here's the exercise. I want you to picture a pink elephant. So just like in your mind, this pink elephant, it can be really big or small, however however it is. You got, and when you got it, tell me. I got it. Okay, so now your task for the next 10 seconds is to think of anything but the pink elephant. So no pink elephant for... 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Okay, did you think about the pink elephant? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I tried really hard not to. It was only like five seconds, and then I got it out of my mind. So you're so first you have to try really hard not to, right? So suppression takes a lot of energy. It's really hard to be effective at getting other stuff done if we're busy suppressing things. And you couldn't really suppress it. It popped back up. So the whole point of that is this is not about suppression. So to be mindful would just be to welcome uh, the image of the pink elephant or any other thought you're having into your mind and just notice it as a thought or an image. So that was a little bit of a trick question to illustrate the point that mindfulness is not suppression. It's just becoming present to what's there. I love, I love that because it almost goes back to what we were talking about earlier is that, you know, people will say things like, well, you know, don't let that get to you or don't waste your time thinking about it, or that's not a good use of, you know, energy or whatnot, but yet sometimes you just can't help it. And I think, is there something to be said about honoring your own emotions or the things that bother you? And I think what I hear you saying is accepting that this is how I feel right now and just owning that and, and that almost doesn't give it more power. It just calls it what it is. And then does it eventually dissipate? Absolutely. So that that's, that's what it's about. So acceptance is not approval. It's just opening ourselves up to our thoughts, our emotions, and the reality of the world. I mean, going back to the pandemic, it turns out that denying there's a pandemic doesn't actually make it go away. <laughs> right? It's a valid point. <laughs> so I think most people, at least that I talk to in the therapy room, seem to be very aware of that. What they're less aware of, to your point, is that denying our thoughts and feelings do not make them go away. So actually, no emotion lasts for, forever if we're willing to sit with it. And even more than sit with it, we can be willing to have it and to welcome it into our heart, even when it's painful. So acceptance is just to open yourself up to the facts of the world to your experience, doesn't mean you like them, it's just to see what's there. Now there's also something called radical acceptance, which I could tell you about if you're interested. Yes, very much so. So radical acceptance is to open your heart, your mind, your body to reality 100% all the way. It's to be fully present to reality as it is. And I can break it down um, and give a, and maybe go through some ways to do this, uh, starting with the body. Great. So one way to accept reality with the body is through willing hands. And so this is just the 
physical position of uh, palms facing upwards, unclenched, this communicates to your brain that your body is working on accepting reality as it is. So the next time you're like, why is this happening? Or it shouldn't be this way. Or how could this be? Or this sucks. Just try willing hands and see if that makes you a little more present to acknowledging why things are the way they are. Well, that's really, I, I really like that. I was reading recently that if you're a kinetic learner, that using your body to help process emotion is really helpful, whether it's using you know your hands to throw a ball out the window to break glass or whatever it is. So you're this idea of opening up your palms and just kind of using your physical body to accept it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and, and to build on your point, you can also try half smiling. Now, half smiling is not like a forced grin. It's very, very subtle. So if you're feeling willful, meaning you don't want to accept reality as it is, you can actually do a very subtle half smile. It's almost, almost like a smize. It can be so subtle that only you yourself notice it. And that can make you uh, more receptive to reality as it is. I also honestly think of this whole practice as, as radical of radical acceptance as one that involves turning the mind, meaning it has to be done continually. So often um, you could think of acceptance as like facing a fork in the road where one path leads to acceptance and the other path leads to non-acceptance. And to turn the mind is to actively choose to accept reality. Now, maybe we're only accepting reality to then work on in one moment to work on changing it in the next moment. It's very hard to change something if you can't first acknowledge that it's there. Or maybe we're accepting reality uh, because we cannot change reality. Earlier, you spoke about what's within our control and what's without of, outside of our control. Sometimes we have to accept or acknowledge what's outside of our control. Is there a time limit to it? I mean, for some people, is it? can you say that if you practice this, that acceptance can come in hours, days, weeks, months? Is there any way to accelerate the process? Oh my gosh, I wish I could just snap my fingers and make it happen. <laughs> You know, it's, it's a hard process and it can come in waves to your point. So even something like the pandemic, you know, one day I might be willing to fully acknowledge that this pandemic is here and maybe the timeline that I expected my life has would take has been altered and things are different. And then the next day I can like want to wake up and just like want to throw tantrums or like yell at the TV and be like, why is this happening? So it can really vary from day to day. But I think over time, it can be a very powerful way to cope. Now, it's also important to know that there's things that we can't, that maybe we don't want to ethically accept, um, but we also have to acknowledge them. And I think this can really come up um, for people who are members of minority groups, because there's a lot that is so ethically unacceptable in the world. And, um, and certainly as a white person and a male person and who occupies many, many privileged identities, I'm very hesitant to, to, to sort of suggest that someone who is marginalized should just accept the reality and the injustice of the world. So the, I think the overall kind of piece of this is that or this would be my my synthesis of all of this is that there's no way to avoid difficult things in life. It happens to everybody. Um, some are in our control and some are out of our control. And whether or not we still have to go through these different processes of either understanding and accepting our our feelings that go with it, and then engaging in change and 
they're interchangeable. So sometimes you would use one and sometimes you use other, but it is a practice and it's something that um, it's not perfection and it isn't something you're going to get to all the time. But if you can get right some of the time, you can move into a new place and space and manage the difficult times better. You got it. <laughs> I want you to come work with me now. <laughs> you got it. This was so helpful. I really, um, I, I appreciate it. And I think it, you know, it, it hits on all of us as we're all going through, you know, different types of things now. But I also appreciate all the work that you do in the LGBTQ community and population because it also helps people that have diversity. And, you know, we just look at all, we, we sometimes think about diversity and color and, and we know at Psych Hub, it's, it's everything from size to gender to, you know, even where you live, geography of rural and urban. And so I think this work that you're doing to help a special population really also helps, helps all of us. Yeah. Thank you so much um, for noting that. Um, and I think the idea of, of acceptance can be so hard for, for so many people who are, who are disadvantaged. And so also in the therapy room, I'm always being really cognizant of my privilege as a white person, as a male person on many um, identities. Well, this has been so fascinating. I, uh, I could spend a whole day just tapping into your brain and getting as much information out as I can. And I think that you, you know, you come at this from a very practical standpoint with really concrete skills. And I could see that all of your clients are very lucky to have you as their therapist to help them guide them through change. Is there a place where our listeners could get in touch with you or learn more about you if they were interested in getting to know more? Yeah, thank you so much for asking. Um, you can come hang out with me on Twitter at Dr. Jeff uh, Cohen. So yeah, come hang with me there. And also, uh, you can find me on Columbia Psychiatry's website, probably just by popping in um, my name and Columbia Psychiatry into Google. Thank you again for taking the time to be with us today. Um, you were just truly incredible. Thank you. It was such a pleasure to speak with you. I so appreciated all of your questions. It was really wonderful. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed the show, drop us a review. If you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast for the latest episodes. For the latest insights, check us out at psychhub.com.